Hello everyone and welcome to season 1, episode 10, the final episode in this season of the Strength Actually podcast. I feel so super excited to have got to this point and I wanted to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening. This week we are incredibly lucky to have our first ever guest and I could not have guest episodes without asking the incredible Rosie Davy to come and join us. Rosie is a women's health physio and she is incredibly progressive in what she does. We worked very closely with her at SLAM and we are super, super excited to have her here answering your questions. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Rosie and I hope that you do too. I certainly learned a lot and I hope there's lots of little nuggets and gifts in, the, in there for you as well. Let's get into it. Hi Rosie, thank you so much for joining us as our first guest on the Strength Actually podcast. Could you take a little moment just to tell us about who you are and how you got to this stage? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, the first guest, so no pressure. Um, <laughs> uh, so I am Rose Davy, Pelvic Health uh, Physiotherapist. Um, I own um, and I'm the founder of Rosie Davy, um, the Pelvic Health Specialist. Um, where I, well, I currently am a small pelvic health clinic up in Bears Den, and we treat um, we treat women of all ages, varying pelvic health conditions. Um, and I got into this field by a stroke of luck or good fortune that I applied for a job, not really knowing what I was applying for. I worked in rugby for a long time in sport, a very male dominant environment, quite competitive, quite hierarchy. And I was letting to get out of this and I started to treat females and I was like, I love this. Um, so they were like my athletes that I was always looking for in my life, but hadn't quite found yet. And here I am today. Amazing. I love it. So today we are so lucky to have the expertise of Rosie. I've known Rosie for a long time and have referred a lot of people to her for support. And the support that she's given them has been so deeply empowering. It's transformed their lives. So we're really, really lucky that Rosie is happy to share her expertise with us today. I've been gathering up a few questions, as I always do, uh, specifically this time about pelvic health or things that people might face to do with their pelvic area or the hormones. And I have curated them to present to Rosie. So as standard format in the podcast, I'm going to read the question out and then Rosie and I are going to talk a little bit about the answers we have to help these people find strength. So the first question says, hey, Rosie and Lindsay, I'm 38, have never had children, and I'm an avid gym goer. I love running, especially recently I have noticed that my pelvic floor feels a lot weaker. I've been to see my GP and there are no signs of prolapse or anything, but I am leaking on occasion. It mostly happens when I laugh, sneeze, or push into sprint mode on my runs. I never expected to have issues like this as I'm not a mother, and it's really knocking my confidence. I've stopped running and that is affecting my mental health. I'd love to come and see someone like you, but I don't live in Glasgow. Do you have any suggestions or strategies that can help me feel confident and strong to keep doing what I love? I think it's, I think the not having babies thing kind of probably strikes me the most. And the fact that most of the adverts we see or discussions we see 
are about like postnatal or you might have these issues because after you've had a baby and not like that makes it any easier for postnatal mums to seek help but there's definitely more conversations around pelvic floor dysfunction and weakness because of pregnancy and childbirth um, and then that then obviously then makes people probably females that haven't had children they do have conditions are like why is my body doing this like I don't know if you have that in the gym or but there's definitely an element of like a bit of shock maybe around Mm -hmm. yeah for sure I think to sort of like normalize um what this person has asked I had and I'm sure you'll have found this as well Rosie I had my pelvic floor issues before I'd had my child. So I was a professional dancer and I danced my whole life. And whenever I laughed um, as a young person, I would pee myself. Mm. Um, And I just thought that that was because I had laughed too hard. I didn't really recognize that I had um, this like immense tension in my pelvic floor and that my pelvic floor was being squeezed all the time because that's what I'd been taught to do as a dancer. So I think like, like you say, we just, we we think that the pelvic floor issues only come from pregnancy and childbirth, but that it can absolutely be present in people who've not had children. Oh, absolutely. I think even with, I think a lot of people come to see me and being a pelvic floor physio, they expect us to be all um, all fine as well. And there's an underlying of endometriosis that I have in my pelvis. So I've got bowel issues and there's like lots of things that I've learned actually being a pelvic floor physio has helped me. But I think... Um, Another thing is like maybe conversations regarding injury, isn't it? It's like, you know, our mums and dads might speak about like sore and sore backs or our friends might have an injury at sport and they've hurt their ankle or they've hurt their knee. And it becomes very transparable that we chat about very, a lot of joints in the body and having injuries, but we probably won't really hear females in our environment through our life, maybe speaking about their own pelvic health issues like you might see your mum constantly being obsessed about the, about the bathroom and maybe she's obsessed about you saying you better go slowly before you go on a holiday or go on, that, go on that car trip and I better go now and I need to stop now go to the bathroom and you go to the bathroom again and you might pick that up but she'll never even tell you that that she's having leakage or she's having an injury through her pelvic floor you know I think the conversations we have or even like I think some patients of mine, they pick up their son and they're like, oh, mum's mom, got a sore back. So, you know, I need to kind of watch what I'm doing there. Kind of lying, they'll never really say, oh, actually, mummy's got a sore vagina or like, you know, um, or mummy's got some heaviness for her vagina. So I can't lift you right now. It's too challenging for mummy or we can chat about that as well. Uh, but we use lifting as a scenario. But yeah, so I think there's an element of we we hide a lot of pelvic health dysfunction under normalised um, conditions you might see physios for. So I think when our environment, when we're experiencing it, it then becomes very lonely because it's like, is this okay to speak about? Like no one in my life's really mentioned this. And for someone of her age, we're be thinking like perimenopause. So, and I ask patients in clinic, when did your mum go through menopause? Like, did she chat at perimenopause? Did your sister go through it? And they're like, mum's never like my mum's never spoken about that and I was like that's the most challenging time one of the most challenging times a female will go through and it's like the society of like like almost like hiding like these sure. you know these it's things all, and yeah it's all that like it's the patriarchy right it's that it's that oppressive system that tells us that women 
should just get on with it. Like these conditions don't affect men or the people who set up society. Or well, they obviously they do, but not not in the same way. Sure. Therefore, they're not considered, which is why it's only now in 2023 that things like menopause policies are being brought into workplaces when women have been in the workforce for quite a while now. So it's just that whole like generational trauma and that like upbringing of being told that we have to hide these things and that we can't yeah. talk about them. Like even, you know, like I, I've got a son and I'm, I am openly discussing things with him that, that he's able to com- comprehend. Like, you know, mummy's got her period and when I've got my period, I feel very tired. So I'm going to take extra rest because I want him to grow up and believe and know that any women that ha- he ends up having in his life who menstruate or any people who menstruate, that he should be supportive of them, you know, and that they might have additional needs like extra rest or a bit more support or whatever. Yeah, and I think I even see that in my own, like my actual own husband's as well. Like his mum's very open mm-hmm. about her pelvic floor and having the babies. And I think when I spoke about my job to Ian for the first time when we started going out, like there wasn't really any snide jokes, there wasn't any, you know, like sexism brought into it, there wasn't any sleaziness brought into it. It was very respectful and being like, oh, that's really cool. I haven't really heard about that before. And um, even now when I go through things in my own period like he's so good like he he really yeah and that's I wish all yeah. guys men like that in life but I think the biggest thing with the thing you say about workplace you know men have pelvic floor conditions but it's actually like into their 60s and beyond so when we think about retirement age think about like your career progression by that level and this image of like the the man going back to work and he like does the job and like he gets the success and the woman's at home like raising the the house you know and um there's an element actually these four conditions are actually screened for really well in men like the prostate service is good like you know there's pelvic health physio for men not 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 much privately actually it's not as spoken about um poison service is quite good <laughs> um but you know like whereas you know women have babies and they're discharged and there's no conversation about or checkup when you're 40 like men go in for a prostate checkup don't they i'm sure they go in for prostate yeah. examination yeah. At age, yeah why are we not having a menopause checkup like or a perimenopause you're turned 40 Let's invite this woman into the clinic and have a chat about where her hormones are at. You know, let's yeah. feel all the symptoms she could be having. Because what's been so sad recently in clinic is I've had the most amazing women in that I've seen actually through pregnancies. They're all going through like anxiety attacks, panic attacks. They've left their jobs. One of them was a head teacher, and she was like, "I'm so stressed in this job that I can't maintain it." So she left, yeah. and I actually said to her, "The reason she came to see me is trying pelvic floor issues." I was like, I think this could be like perimenopause. I think this like, could be, and she was like, do you know what? I've been to a GP. I've been put on antidepressants. Uh, I've been put to mindfulness course. And that, that that might help in some degree. But no one had really spoken about this, like yeah. this like cobweb being all connected. And she was like, God, I've, like, I've like left a career that I'd worked so hard for and to maintain. And I thought I just couldn't hack it anymore. It's just not that support. It's interesting to bring up perimenopause because actually someone has asked about it. Um, so just before we move on to that, 
what kind of things would you suggest or any sort of strategies that could help this original person feel confident and strong to keep running because they've said they've stopped running. So what kind of things would you say to someone like that? Yeah. So I'd always say like, even with pain or pelvic floor dysfunction in an activity, the worst thing you can do is stop because there's an element of like deconditioning, like weakness, mental health, cardiovascular system, you know, running is really good for us as females because it produces impact through bones, it produces muscle contractions, it improves our cardiovascular system, improves mental health. So, you know, we have to think outside the box and just our pelvic floor muscles as one individual group. We have to think about the whole system as one. So the first thing I would say to her is like, okay, let's get you back running again. But let's kind of think about, okay, what is your roots like? What are your fluids like before you go out? Are you hydrated? Um, has anything changed in your life recently that might have impacted your running? Like if you had to decrease your running or if you've been stressed more, are you running faster? Are you trying to meet, meet a target or a, all these different variables? So I would get her back to run. Mm-hmm. Maybe my first thing. And then there's loads of things <laughs> we could think about to change the running. Um but I think for me, the first thing is probably I lean on cadence. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you lean towards that, but I lean towards like thinking about, um, you know, how are they how are they looking while they run? Does it look easy? Does it look strained? Are they pushing too hard through their legs? So the cadence is the first. I do lean into cadence quite a lot with runners because I don't think people really are trained in running. We just no. run easy, yeah. time efficient. Um, so I think sometimes when we do run, maybe we aren't thinking about how efficiently we can run. So I tend to lean towards that initially. Um, what would you, also from a, from a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer, what would you look at? I would, similarly to what you've you've said, I would be looking more at the whole picture, you know, what's happening, has anything changed in your life? What are you doing to prepare for your run? Um, what and I one of my big things because that's where my expertise lies is are you doing any strength training? Because I find um when it comes to to running, it's it's the person's main focus normally, and so therefore they don't do anything outside it. There's also a lot of myths and misinformation about how runners shouldn't lift weights, which of course that's changing these days, but it's a big thing that a lot of runners, especially mm-hmm. at more amateur level, still believe. Um, so I would I would be asking that, you know, are you doing any strength training? And then I'd be looking into some kind of strength training strategies that I could offer um, that support running and that support that um, impact through the joints and through the body and one of the things I always talk about actually and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you I've heard you talking about this as well is just like do they understand how the pelvic floor works I think because that was such a big thing for me is I thought of my pelvic floor like a plug you know and then when I did start leaking I was like trying to squeeze that plug even harder you know plug that even more and it wasn't until I and 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 I was trying to do it during high skill movements like running or um Olympic weightlifting I wasn't I w- didn't realize that my pelvic floor had to be able to ebb and flow had to be able to be more like a hammock bounce. Or, yeah bounce yeah so um, that can sometimes I find be a massive change when someone just starts to see their pelvic floor differently and connect in a different way. That pressure management issue can completely change. 
Totally. And it's quite interesting with this, this patient, like, think about leakage and running. And has the stress and constants of coughing and sneezing progressively got worse because she stopped running? So is there an element that her pelvic floor is now quite tight on the back wall? Is there less bounce because she's sitting more and she's more sedentary? Is she clenching a wee bit more? And um, I see that a lot a lot in pregnancy patients and a lot in postnatal patients because of, you'll know, the glute system and clenching and, and just postural adaptions that happen. And um, I had one girl in yesterday who didn't have most positive experience in the first delivery had health pelvic floor systems and um, pelvic floor dysfunction anyway and she's like oh, I, I leak more now I'm pregnant and uh, and she's not moving as much as what she was and we actually assessed her and and I was like you, you don't have any degree of movement there like it's so tense and tight and stiff and now you've got a baby you've got a placenta you've got your bladder you've got fluids so you've got your pelvic needs to actually absorb that more. It needs to be really moving well. Um, and she was like, oh my God, I hadn't even thought about movement down the way. I just thought about up the way. And um, and I was like, well, it needs to accept it first, doesn't it? And then be able to bounce you back up. And there's no acceptance. Yeah. There's a bit of stagent, a bit of, a bit of you know, tightness going on, a bit of less spring. Um, and we chat about the run- runners, you'll chat about tendon spring and and um, Achilles spring and quad spring and hamstrings. <laughs> all these all these words that are alien to me, a non-runner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Leg, leg spring or leg, I don't know, leg. But it's funny, you go in running courses. Yeah. Is there any mention of pelvic floor in running courses? Not really, especially male dominant running courses. It's all on your it's all on your Achilles and your knee. And there's actually a really really good uh, David, oh man. David, I don't know what his name is. David Gray, I think his name is. He's a really good um, video, but he looks at spring and he chats with the pelvic floor and the eccentric ability to move. So, um, yeah, I think running needs to be updated. And like you said, strength training. And a lot of folk, when they strength train, they do like, um, I don't know what you would call this, but like a lot of closed chain movements and a lot of like both legs. So like squats or deadlifts, but I'm like, let's get the split squats there, let's get the single leg bridges there, let's get single leg step-ups there. So let's train your right pelvic floor and your left pelvic floor individually. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's, I think that's such a big conversation. You know, we think of running as just fast walking, but running isn't just fast walking. It's single leg to single leg mm-hmm. On, on with bounce with spring you know dynamic movement so if you're not training single leg then you're not giving your body the best chance to be able to do that and you know we've actually had a fair few really serious running coaches um, rent our gym for various different things and when I've watched them with their members they've not got them on the air runner constantly doing running drills. They've got them strength training. They've got them pushing, pulling, hinging, single leg, squatting. You know, they've got them thinking about eccentric loading of the hamstrings. That's what they're working on. Because And these some of these runners that, that the coaches are working with, you know, they're like 100 milers. You know, they're big ultra marathon runners or they're like really high up in the sport um, running races and stuff like that. So... I guess you can take from that if that's what high level athleticism in running, if that's what they're doing, then it's it's going to be beneficial for us if yeah. we're running for recreation. And if you think about her age as well, like going back to that perimenopause, but estrogen as well, like 
and she's not strength training. And we know from the age of 35, even even from our 30s, like muscle mass decreases and estrogen affects the muscle mass retention. So has it been actually less to blame our pelvic floor less? Yep. It's not been her vagina, <laughs> you know, and actually go to other systems in her body and, and actually make her realise that the age-related changes could be affecting her whole, her whole muscle mass system as well. Um, it's, yeah, I've had quite a lot of that recently, of girls coming in and being like, pelvic floor is an issue. And then we look at the hip flexors and we look at everything else and I haven't looked at the pelvic floor yet and there's loads of stuff we could be doing to change things. And this is where education in in my field for personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches is so important, right? Because there's a lot we can do on that front line. Like when people come to us, it can be supportive of like, there's so much that we can do if we just have that knowledge, if we stop just pretending that the pelvic floor isn't like any other group of muscles. And if we actually start seeing it, as part of the body and and knowing where you know how the rest of the body works in in co- collaboration with the pelvic floor then there's a lot we can offer there to yeah support. and I think even as coaches being less scared of it and being like oh like you're leaking oh god I don't know and before as soon as you do that the person's like oh god like they're pretty awkward about that like they look pretty scared about that maybe I should be pretty worried you know and it just yeah that fear that fear facilitation aspect as well that embarrassment it's like you just mentioned leakage oh I don't I don't like I don't want to know about your like your bladder like a coach did a coach did say that to me once and no joke like this is why one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about what I do is I said you know I've I've got my periods I'm a bit tired and actually this was a conversation we'd had on multiple occasions and he was like oh why are you always talking about your periods like I don't want to know about that you know, it was, I actually cried in that session and just pretended it was because I was frustrated that I, I couldn't lift a weight, but I was so ashamed and so embarrassed, you know, and it's just like, we have to think about these things. Yeah, you must feel so, like, weak and being like, it's your fault and, like, you can't manage your period and, like, it's a lot of blame, isn't it, on that? It's like, why are you mentioning that? Like, that's not an issue with what I'm doing with you right now, you know, even though we know a lot more now, but of course yeah, it's sad and upsetting but that would be probably my there's a lot in that but that would probably be my answer <laughs> I think it, I, I hope it's a helpful answer like it certainly has been helpful for me as well so um I hope that that has answered your question and thank you to the person who wrote in for being so open and honest and vulnerable especially in a world like we've said that doesn't acknowledge that these things are common in people who haven't had children as well as people who have had children. Um, so yeah, I hope that helps. Thank you. Awesome. So the next question we've got is, hey, Rosie and Lindsay, I'm about to enter perimenopause. My mum had issues with her pelvic floor at this stage in her life, and it was awful. After two traumatic birth experiences, I'm feeling nervous that I may end up in a similar situation. Do you have any suggestions of things to look out for or ways that I can bulletproof my body? Nice use of words, use of words there. <laughs> and feel as, feel strong as I enter this phase of my life. <laughs> oh, man, I think, yeah, I think even society's uh, image of menopause, though, and um, 
you know, and you get these connotations and you get these me like what they call I can't I never say the right word, is it memes? Me memes, memes. memes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is that? So like memes <laughs> and like you know, like and even like what is it like sex and city, they had like a big thing on menopause, but it was Samantha. I mean, she is great, but there's an element of like, what does menopause do? Is it this destroying of life and this? But actually, like a lot of females find a lot of like rejuvenation in their forties. Like, Absolutely. You know, you get a chance to breathe a little bit. You know that that even though this shouldn't be the case, but if you are a mum and you are like the main person in the household to look after the children because the element of like there's a little bit of need that doesn't need you as much kind of and that can be quite fulfilling and a bit independent you can find your stride again I think your 40s are I'm actually I actually I'm in my 30s and I actually dread in my 30 I dread I still dread my 30s like it's a year of lots of um pressure of different things but I think I'm actually looking forward to my 40s yes already oh. I I'm also in my 30s although towards the end of them and uh, I I feel the same way like I, I follow a lot of women in their 40s I work with a lot of women in their 40s and I hear this messaging that your 30s is maybe that got a little bit more uncertainty but your 40s is is really where you really find yourself and also you stop giving a fuck like you're yeah. just like <laughs> There's no room for fucks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I and I think when I was younger, that's not the messaging that I heard. And yeah, I yeah. I know that it's been similar for a lot of women, this whole I'm just gonna bury my head in, in the sand until menopause hits me because it sounds awful and I don't want to have to think about that's what's coming. But like exactly what you've said, Rosie, like the people who I've worked with who've managed to educate themselves have managed to find the support um and I know that that comes with varying degrees of privilege and it's not always it's not accessible to lots of people um but the people who've managed to face it more head-on have had quite a transformative experience um rather rather than a fearful one totally cool to acknowledge yeah, yeah, honestly, Scott, I, there's, there's one lady, I particularly think about one lady recently, and she was actually a CrossFit, and she, oh my God, so badass, like, the muscle mass yeah. on her was extreme, <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, I, I was like, you look insane. She didn't feel that, because she was, like, leaking and heaviness, and she wasn't pressure managing very well, but in amongst this, um, her mental health was going, she was losing her libido a little bit, I was like, you look insane. Like, why? Oh my God. I was like, you should be like a, I don't know, you should be so sexual. Like, you just look so good, you know? And then she was like, oh, I don't feel like anymore. Just like, don't. Anyway, she's looked at all. I was like, look, think about this. I can treat this. But I was like, I think there's a lot other stuff going on. And she messaged me and I was like, my life's been completely U turned. Like, I've never felt so good. And I was like, she's on HRT now and like a couple of other, other things. And she was just like, I'm like lifting, I'm having no leakage, I'm in my fort. And I think part of it was a, a societal dread that she had of other people in her life being like, you can't keep that up. Like, you're getting older now, like you can't lift that bar and like squat that much and be as fast as that in your box jumps. Things are going to slow down, like you're going to become an old lady soon. Like, I think it was an element of that in her that 
people around her in conversations and just passing comments um, were starting to eat her up. And then she's felt rejuvenated and being like, fuck, like, I was badass before, but like, here we go. Like, yeah. you know, you know, it's just beginning, I think, you know. Um, I think those, yeah. positive, those positive stories, Rosie, are just so empowering because what do we hear about menopause? Like, we hear the dread, the, oh, my God, this is, this is uh-huh, awful. Like, And, of course, there are challenging elements to it, but I believe a lot of the challenges come from living in a world that doesn't support people who go through menopause and having all these expectations to keep working at the same capacity and to just not like keep calm and carry on you know that that really mentality and what I hope that conversations like this and the change in policies and workplaces and you know I know it's going to be slow but what I hope that'll do is help empower people and help people to have a wholly different experience Totally. And I think one of the bigger stresses for me, for all females, like no matter what age you are and what life changes you're going through, I think to know yourself so individually well, like to know what triggers you, to know what tires you, to know what makes you feel like really fulfilled and relaxed, to know what gives you anxiety, to know like how you feel good moving your body, like what makes you feel like happy I think like I don't know I think we're put into this I don't know why but I think we're put into this box of like it's just I don't know like this should make you happy and this should make you relax and and blah 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 and work really hard but then you know still chill out at night time and still have good mental health and but but really fit and active and but like, you'd be happy but give your time to your friends get to your family and your partner and all the rest of it yeah and you know, I think what I've, I think actually the business has taught me so much more about learning about what, how to give and take. And we were saying, talking earlier about boundaries and, and your energy supply. In certain weeks, we might work, we might push ourselves harder, we might ease back in other weeks, you know, because we have like good knowledge. We have the privilege of our education. Yeah. And I think if all, my only message to every female is like really understand who you are as a person and then you can look for changes and then you can look for oh actually do you know what like so and so just passed away recently and and that person's like falling out with that friend don't see her as much anymore it's caused a bit of toxic you know like arguments and I have a feel of like actually that stresses you out because you know you're the kind of person that wants to keep everyone happy and doesn't feel good for you and yeah I think if you understand you really well then you'll know yourself better than anyone like your GP as well and um, when you're seeking help it's trying to stress I don't feel good right now because usually I'm like this and right now I'm the opposite and don't take like these mediocre societal pressures for answers like I'm just so stressed like you know, like hot, like you're out of whack, and I think no, like have answers, find sinks, like find trends. You know, and um, yeah. think yeah, knowing yourself better can then facilitate when you realise things are changing. Does that make sense? I hope that makes I, sense. I think that's like the best possible how to face perimenopause and menopause advice I've ever heard. Is yeah. just know your fucking self, like know yourself yeah. so deeply and so well that you can then you can see what's different for you and take back that time 
you know, I know it's not always easy, but that time that you that you maybe don't get as much in your 30s, like if you can mm-hmm. take that back in ways, like you said, Rosie, what makes you happy? What, you know, are you moving your body? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you hydrated? Are you eating? You know, these things that, these, these are our pillars of health, you know, and if we can just lean into those, then it can make a lot of things easier to navigate, I think. Yeah. And I think as each individual will experience perimenopause symptoms very differently. I mean, there's over like 42 symptoms, like that, and it's a massive list when you think about it. And then and then that all those symptoms will just happen at once. No. <laughs> and everyone experiences all those symptoms. And I think um, particularly if you're in a bit of an element where you're at work and you can't handle pressure as well as what you used to be able to handle it, well, why is that? You used to be able to handle it fine. Like, yeah. You know, you've got this degree of your job, you've got this level of your career and you're like doing really well. So what is it that's, that's spung on this big change? It's not you going to a mental breakdown, you know, like, um, and there's elements of like, obviously a weight gain with menopause, well, isn't there a big conversation about that? And us as females, what do we do when we weight gain? Oh, we eat less and yeah. we move excessively more <laughs> cardio bunnies and we, we, we prive ourselves over food and fulfillment but actually we point to educate more nourishment and absolutely you know, um and then movement as well that's a big thing I've had a massive learning curve it would be married last year and put myself in through a massive fat loss I put myself through a lot of pain last year a lot of money loss um through coaches that probably didn't fulfill me very much but anyone anyway, we'll get into that but I think like you put yourself this high pressure to like and actually, I said to my husband recently, I'm actually working way more than I ever, ever have. I'm moving so much than boy, I should. I'm getting better. Yeah. But actually, I'm managing stress and boundaries a lot better, and I've actually lost weight. Yeah. Um, so I think with menopause and perimenopause, there's an element of like, yeah, I feel just knowing what makes you feel really good and energised and working into that. Um, and eating less isn't one of them. <laughs> Exactly. And that's the thing, like, <laughs> you hit so many nails on the head there that I'm going to struggle to to say them all because my brain's like, oh, totally burning. But like, <laughs> like, you know, what do we do when we feel our bodies changing is we fall into that diet culture narrative. And that is not shade at other women or, at, or on ourselves. We've been oh. doing that our whole lives. So it's our default is to is to believe that our bodies are the sole source of our worth. So they're if they're changing, and also we're moving out of the childbirth years, with, like you know, in inverted commas, mm-hmm. which is also what we were told was our only worth to the world. You know, we were told <laughs> for so long that our the only worth we have is to bear children and mm-hmm. to look good whilst doing it and before and after it. So there's just a lot of trauma to navigate that that's inside us we might not even realize we have and when we go into these default habits of like starving ourselves and depriving ourselves or and then our systems struggle and then we can't sleep well and then we've got more stress that is going to exasperate symptoms and hopefully if we could only have like you said you know that check-in we hit those perimenopause years 
of like, how are you feeling? How is this affecting you? You know, here's some education about what's nourishing that actually you might benefit from an extra hour in bed instead of going to that 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. exercise class. Mm-hmm. What's like, yeah, what's, yeah, what, what lifts you up that day? Like, what do you need, you know? And I think definitely for me, there's just this constant pressure to, to be fast to to do to do this and do that and there's not a t- an element of like actually do you know what I need to bloody hit my alarm to just switch off and just sleep longer this morning yeah I think wrong with that and I think actually a few of my pelvic pain patients struggle with that a lot like this fast life and succeeding and hierarchy yeah it's it's an interesting aspect I think from a pelvic floor perspective when we think about perimenopause my main things are know yourself really well, as we said before. I think, yeah, move, strength, like move, strength, train. I have a bit, I definitely have a bit of a, um, you know, cardiovascular in some way that makes you feel good rather than lethargic. Yeah. And then have an element of stress management, definitely like know how to calm, know how to rest. And then my other thing would be if you're in constipation, like so nutrition, like constipation, intercourse might change so if things are changing and things aren't feeling how they used to feel like two years ago you know when things were absolutely fine then that's a time to yeah definitely get seeking help and don't stand for oh you're stressed and oh you're depressed and this is what the answer is have an answer of like someone asking you yourself like how do you feel and what do you think's going on and what's changed in your life recently rather than them giving you the fixing answer let them as we spoke earlier to facilitate your knowledge and facilitate your questioning yourself so then you can come to the answer yourself that's Um, absolutely that's absolutely a big thing isn't it it's that erasure it's that feeling like that dismissal of I'm not being heard you know like and start listening it's so you know we're working with so many people at the moment who are in perimenopause but being told oh that doesn't start to your late 40s or or that's probably not what's happening you know one person being told without ever being seen without ever being looked at being told on the phone it's probably not perimenopause you just need to lose some weight and move more Oh God, that's so damaging. So upsetting. That would really, that would really, really impact me if that like, yeah. And that's what I was getting told a lot last year. Like just aren't like just not pushing hard enough. And maybe your calories are too high. Maybe to drop your calories more, you know, and the unit had just opened. The business had just like, like I established, left the NHS. I was getting married. Uh, you know, it's a lot happening. And uh, yeah, I just, um, I wish someone said to me, like, I think we should find a, ba- a better balance and something that makes you feel relaxed because you've got a lot on your plate right now. And I think movement should be more for nourishment rather than like suffering yeah. and constantly making you weigh yourself every week. And if you haven't lost, like, why is that? What are you doing wrong? That and that's like the image that I was getting last year was like, why are you feeling at this? That's horrible, Rosie. I'm so sorry you had that experience because it's like really. Yeah, but I think every experience, though, for me now, I can look back on that and think like I, I. But that's why knowing yourself really well for me is so 
empowering and I think I've only really learned that like this this year really with the business and and um yeah what does exercise mean for me like what has it meant because I I didn't exercise since the wedding I stopped I'm not surprised surprised. yeah yeah because I hated it I began to really hate it and like feel a bit guilty about it um whereas now I'm like oh my god I just can't wait to move (laughs) I've sat all day (laughs) I'm gonna lift that barbell in my head just like let go of my lats a little bit yeah I think yeah so us as females like I mean I'm I'm especially triggered with exercise and, and weight loss I've, I've never had that body shape so I think that that perfect societal body shape some people are not triggered by that so much because it's not been they fit the societal yeah yeah yeah, image. And privilege. yeah like, privilege of that and um some people don't come into t- context with it because they've had these metabolisms and these hormones that have kept them that like this and they hit menopause and it's like my body's failing because it doesn't look like it did like two years ago and I'm going to starve more and going to run so it's just like stress levels you know like and the thing is the body can't tell the difference between stress so all of that stress is just telling your your central nervous system there's a fucking tiger chasing us and we have to get away from it so in which case we're not going to start shedding body fat here because we need to be able to move we need to be able to you know so like you're just feeding your body a central nervous system that's already going through a lot when it's going through perimenopause and menopause and changes in hormones you're feeding it even more stress it of course it's going to exasperate symptoms like hot hot flushes and just all these things, pelvic floor, stress impacts them. And I don't think that our healthcare services is saying that enough. Oh my God, no. And I think a lot of pelvic floor conditions for me, like I'm actually going to make a, well, soon make a reel about this, but I think one of the things for me, it's like you're weak. Yeah. That is your body being too weak. And that is your body not being strong enough for that. And that's your problem, and you have to find the sh- like. It's you have to fix that. Whereas it's like actually, you know, are you feeling okay these days? Like, what's on your plate? Like, how's family life? How's work life? You know, are you? Can I help you? Yeah. You know, rather than like it's your fault. Like, you're the issue here, <laughs> not society, and not your partner and not work and not your boss it's you like you're the problem um how many how many people have you worked with right i hope this gives people a good indication because i know for us that we have worked with a lot of people with back pain chronic back pain once Mm -hmm. you've supported them or given them some knowledge and some tools some empowerment to get some stuff off their plate how many people for you has their symptoms then got better Oh, yeah, and that yeah, it's it's all. It, some people they like, take a while to yeah. maybe accept that as well because they've spent a lot of money and they've they've really, really invested in the mechanical issue. Yeah. Um, pelvic pain is a huge one for me with with pregnancy. Yeah, um, we know work's a massive trigger for pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain, and when we kind of open that conversation. Sometimes it causes overwhelm because they're like, how do I deal with this? Yeah. But yeah, I think it's just listening. It's listening. And I think 
a lot of people will message me back and be like, I feel better. I think because you listened. Mm -hmm. They won't say because you gave me this exercise. Yeah. No one really says to me, oh, that exercise has fixed me. Yeah. That's like, I, that hit me really hard. I actually feel quite emotional hearing you say that. Like, mm -hmm. the people just don't, we just don't feel listened to, especially as women or people who are typically marginalised by society, we're not being listened to and how impactful it is when, when someone does feel heard. That's like, yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, and I think it's so impactful the other way for us. It's like, oh my God, we get the privilege to have this space. And that's why our appointments um our appointments aren't aren't 45 minutes they're never 45 minutes and even an hour really we're going to change a few things with our appointment schedules um our appointments are mostly an hour and a half um and if they're a follow-up they're usually a full hour they're never 30 minutes they're what? never 45 minutes um it's not a train it's not a conveyor belt and we have a maximum of maybe four patients a day like that is our, it's my space, my energy, because I give a lot of energy to every patient. So I don't work 10 hour days. I don't see back to back patients because of the fact that the quality of service needs to be there to listen to people. Um, that takes energy from a practitioner's point of view. And the NHS never gave me that space. It all was like, you will treat back to back every hour and you run over, you'll go home late, you know, and you can't deal with that patient really holistically because you don't have time to email her GP and give her all the education she needs, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think um, there's an element for me that, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I worked in that environment. And then the reason I left, because I, I was like, I can do so much better than this as a provider and a practitioner. And this environment is stressing me out. Why is that? Because it's not made for patients. It's not yeah. made for holistic health and yeah, I think um, that, yeah, that the access to care and holistic health is really sparse sometimes. I think finding good clinicians that treat holistically and listen to someone is very far and few between. And, it, and the unfortunate thing, the terrifying thing, is that that is only available really in private practice, which means you need to have financial privilege to be able to access it. Yeah. And, and it's not yeah. And I think for us, for me as well, like I was in the NHS what for 10 years and I, I was still providing the same care as what I am in privately. I just think it's the time. Like and it's like, why haven't you discharged this patient in four sessions? Mm -hmm. Why are you running late every day? Like why are you not finishing at four o'clock? Like, we can't pay you more. Like, we can't give you that time back. Like, that's your fault. And it's like, I had a I had a patient today that needed more time from me. I needed to, like, give her more space. And I used to phone her GP and I had to chat about mental health with her. I had to refer her on to the mental health support team in, the, in obstetrics. Mm -hmm. That took half an hour each, okay? I, you know, yeah, there's an element of, like, rushed and service and poor staffing and, yeah loads of things that cause that in the NHS but as providers you feel that you're constantly failing and that then leads into mental health breakdown and some clinicians go down the route of like I can't do all this so I'm just gonna like do the basic I can and I'm fine with that and then some clinicians are like like me I was like I need to leave this is really bad for my mental health yep it's really 
really scary and I really hope that there's some sort of reform at some point because obviously we don't want to lose this incredible oh, no. service but it's yeah that's for another podcast that conversation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so we just got one last question Rosie um so it says hey Rosie and Lindsay I'm pregnant and so nervous about giving birth I have the ultimate fear around tears or emergency interventions. Recently, I've started to experience back and pelvic pain, as well as immense tension in my jaws, my jaw and my shoulders. I'm certain this is related to how I'm feeling and I'm panicking about how I'll navigate the next 20 weeks and childbirth. How do I find strength to let go of these fears and enter this next phase of my life feeling empowered and ready? Yeah, and that's a really hard answer. <laughs> there's, there's an aspect of privilege with my answer and there's an aspect of financial yeah. ability with my answer. But there's also a lack of knowledge as well. Like um, in the NHS, there's now these MNPI teams and systems in place. And I think all people don't know about these systems in the maternity services. So they're like mental health support, midwives. And yeah, and, and they're amazing. They're so, oh my God, I can only speak highly of the girls enough. There's one in each hospital. And I've actually had to ref- I've had to say to patient, why not refer to this team? Oh, never, no one ever said to me about it. No one ever spoke to me about it. And most of these mums are first time mums actually that need support. And they haven't because they haven't been through like previous trauma of delivery. It's like, why do you need, why are you anxious about tearing? Like, like what's your lived experience of that? And a lot of it sometimes for me can come down to, like family members past trauma, friends past that's been passed down a little bit. So we need to understand where the trauma's come from. Like what is your belief surrounding that? You know, what is your biggest fear about tearing? What do you think tearing causes? You know, what do you think how do things be managed? How do you think like yeah, how does it look? Like what's your narrative around the fear? And then once you've kind of broken that down, it's like, well, am I the right person to help with that fear? So is it actually all the things that we can do in pelvic health sessions, like perineal massage, looking at how you might push, positions of pushing, or is it actually that you're worried about birth and you're worried about the healthcare system, you don't like hospitals? Mm -hmm. Is that more a birth educator you need? You know, is it a doula you might need to help you support that? Is it actually the NHS that has to support you in that? Do you need to have a vaginal delivery how about a planned cesarean section is that something that you would feel more comfortable about and and what's the narrative that's blocking you from making that choice and you know society's pressure of being too posh to push and all these lovely centers that get thrown around you know I think having empowerment over your birth is is crucial and part of that comes from education but part of that is understanding where the fear is Mm -hmm. and then who can facilitate change in your fear wow mic drop (laughs) it does it does it's it's education right education and understanding where the fear comes from that's what you said and education yes can potentially be accessed more easily through private services however you've also mentioned that there is support available within the NHS it's just not being promoted as well as it should be I mean I had 
um, like psychiatric and intervention during my pregnancy. And that's the only reason that I know that service is available. You know, I had like weekly psychotherapy, not counselling, not CBT, like really deep, intense psychotherapy every week for most of my pregnancy through the NHS. And I've, you know, I really got a lot of support, but I would never have known that was available if I hadn't experienced a grief that had then caused post-traumatic stress, which had then led me on that pathway. It shouldn't have to be at just that level. You know, that service is actually there for anyone with mental health challenges to access. Why do we have to leave it where women are absolutely at their knees, crumbled and and filled with all these extreme mental health cases? Why do we have to leave it till then, you know? And I think a big thing for us in clinic, well, my clinic, you know, I worked in NHS for a number of years and I think the clinic stands to then provide a service that wasn't there. And our, and our main ethos or value is preventative before cure. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy to treat people to cure them as well but I think like prevention for me is empowerment it's same um, choice it's education it's yeah you, for you and as an individual and part of that is we, we were making the empowerment birth course in our clinic recently yeah. and uh, I was doing it myself initially and I was like why am I doing this alone like I'm not a birth educator like I'm not like someone that can facilitate these conversations like come on Rosie get a team and obviously got like um, the other girl on board Sarah who's a hypnobirthing teacher and a birth educator but we're starting now to actually build it so we've now got a postnatal doula on board and we're going to like rebrand it for next year and I think that was like how do we really inclusively as different professionals people might need us individually and People might all not always need a pelvic floor physio and they can't afford £90 to come for an hour to just hear about a bit of advice, a bit of education that I could provide in a course for cheaper. Yeah. And But they might need more time, that, but they won't know that until maybe they get, like, until they get environmentally maybe, like, facing that person, like, you know. Yeah. So people look at me sometimes as the person who's going to chat to them about induction and chat about, the pros and cons and I, I can do that from a, pel- a pelvic floor point of view yeah actually they might need a doula maybe or a hip birthing specialist that can actually chat to them about induction chat about the risks and how to facilitate facilitate conversation with their healthcare provider and that's not me does it does a job so and that's what like we were talking about earlier Lindsay like staying in our lane as, as professionals and and what is the core value of the business? The core value is to provide the ultimate best care for patients. And how do I do that as a clinician? It's by facilitating them to look at other professionals that are better than me and know more than me. And it's and, and I'm I'm so amazed people come to me and they want to chat about that. It's incredible that they think that I'm the person for that. And I take it full steam ahead. That's that's they've welcomed me into that space. But it's actually like I'm not the person for that you know um and birth like like health in general it's so multifaceted you know like exactly what you've said it's and we and I think maybe capitalism or something in our lives has taught us that we should get everything from whatever we buy or from wherever we you know we should get everything I want one person to do it all maybe it's that whole all or nothing sort of vibe and actually um, it's so multifaceted and we need a lot of education and support from other people and I think that's 
really well-rounded advice. Mm-hmm. But I think it can get overwhelming, can't it? Like, and I think, yeah, I, I'm really, really lucky in my. Sometimes I, I don't think I'm unlucky with, with my job. I think if I ever do become pregnant, I, you know, I question like, oh my god, how will I feel about all these things? I know too much. But then there's also that element like, oh my god, Rosie, you're so fortunate that you know how the postnatal period might look early doors and you know how pregnancy might bring up these emotions and feelings so how do we prepare for all this to happen and when do we create the space for these things to happen um so I feel very fortunate in many ways to have the education that I do and and I I feel very sorry for for girls sometimes that I really wanted the pregnancy so much that they haven't really been able to think about anything else that was that was definitely Uh, or even being pregnant like they can't think about it yet because it's not reachable and then really it takes someone maybe until 20 weeks to be like that okay this is maybe okay like maybe I can think about birth yet like or actually no I still can't think about delivery because I can't think about this baby being here yet and and that for me is really upsetting because then it's like almost we're leaving it until this clog wheel and it's like well actually are you really anxious about delivery and how might that interfere with you? And then sadly, you know, there's an element of like with IVF or, you know, people are getting induced, you know. And we're feeding in sometimes people to people's worry and fear and and then changing their birth, their birth outcome because we're, you know, changing policies, yeah. you know. Um, won't ask too much about that, but yeah, these, there's, yeah. These fears that this this person is feeling you know um I feel like we've really leaned into that and like given some really hopefully helpful advice about that um in terms of like um sort of like back and pelvic pain um tension in the body is there anything any sort of like I know we don't have all the details we can't really give specific advice but is there anything in general that you would say to people who are experiencing those types of things I know you're really invested in sort of pelvic pain solutions and support yeah, and obviously as pelvic health physios, we could do the assessment, we could, we could, but our assessment pelvic girdle pain is a lot on your work environment, a lot on your social environment, a lot on your fears. And But one of the things, if it is to do with more of a, a like a, a, a nervous system type of central nervous system type of pain, so if it's a work thing or a birth thing or a fear thing, I think for me is like novel movement, like fun movement, can you start to dance a little bit? Can you start to shake your hands out and shake your head side to side? Can we feel a bit free? Can we start to encourage our body that even though we're emotionally feeling like this, we're really safe? Mm-hmm. And to tell our central nervous system like to relax and give and flop and give less shits. Yes. <laughs> um, let go, you know, let those shits out. <laughs> not maybe not yeah. like literally, but, <laughs> but yeah, give less fucks and. <laughs> there's an element of like freedom and and you're you know you're very good at visually showing that I'm not so good at visually showing me dancing around the gym um <laughs> again that's uh maybe societal pressure <laughs> I'm like I'm like well, don't don't show that you know but I think um 
yeah, I think there's an element of novel movement for me has been shown to really reduce pain. And novel, dancing is one of those. The other thing is can be like Tai Chi actually can be shown to have really good effects. Um, slowing down practice can be a really good effect. But I know some girls with pelvic girdle pain don't really like the whole yoga thing because they feel they're maybe getting pushed into a type of narrative. Again, that's their beliefs. But um, so novel movement's been shown to be really effective and I love dancing. Yeah. yeah. Music and how can we incorporate some other feel-good, keep it on different yeah. smells and different clothes and can we go into a room that no one's watching us and let go of all that tension. So... That for me is a big thing. The other thing is like, as you become more pregnant, you do become stiffer. Yeah. Uh, everything's more harder because you're carrying a weight that you haven't really been used to. You're tired. Yeah. You're growing human being, rightly so. So it's like, how do I start to change my environment to complement my body's changes? So can I use gym balls more? Can I, can I stand at my desk rather than always sitting? Can I have meetings more? over zoom and over other these other avenues that we've got now rather than walking into town and taking the train and using energy up that I don't really have mm-hmm. um is there an element of like I haven't I've been 12 weeks I've been really ill I'm really worried about exercising because everyone says it to be be careful the rules online say don't pick up anything new but I've seen this class, I've seen this in this, you know, community that are being created and I, I want to be part of that, but I'm also really nervous and, you know, I'm like, reach out to that person, like talk to that person. Like, I like, I mean, Lindsay, you'll know more than me with exercise and pregnancy, but for me, it's like find any movement that, that gives you also that space of community and also that mental deload and a class that starts to, facilitate conversation and and support yep I think it's it's just such an important message like everything that you've said you know movement is gonna help relieve tension and if tension is what's causing the pain and stress and the attack on your central nervous system then that can that's gonna have a positive outcome for you but we're told like we know there's so much fear generated around pregnancy and you know for some people there's been trauma there's been a difficulty getting pregnancy there's been losses so yeah I would always advocate as well for like find a place that feels like your vibe whether that's online or in person and reach out and speak to the instructors get a feel for what it's going to be like and also know that it's never too late we get people coming to us 30 weeks pregnant, 36 weeks pregnant. You know, we've had people come and join us with a couple of weeks of their pregnancy left. It's n- don't get don't get worried that because you were sick for 20 weeks you couldn't move, that that ship has sailed, you know. Um a good quality strength and conditioning coach who is a specialist in pregnancy exercise or anyone who works with pregnant people, they'll be able to support you. Um, whether you lifted weights pre-pregnancy or not, or whether you danced pre-pregnancy or not. Yeah, and I think there's also, you know, I had one, I, I love to use examples of patients, but I had one girl who was in the NHS actually and she loved her job. Oh my God, she was so passionate about, she worked on oncology patients uh-huh. and she, she was the lead nurse though. She was like the special, the only one in the team, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that ran a certain thing and she weight trained through her whole pregnancy 
And uh, she loved weight training. She found it after her first baby. Her mother-in-law kept saying to her, I don't think you should be doing that. I don't think you're doing deadlifts. I don't think you're lifting weights because that mm-hmm. looks quite dangerous for your body and baby. And then she went to a pelvic health physio. And the one thing the pelvic health physio said to her, the pelvic health physio, there is evidence for this, right? But she's probably the worst patient to see it too. She strength trained because she used to be a lot a, a bigger lady and mm. she didn't exercise or move or do anything in her life that really made her feel healthy. She started to lift some load and really enjoyed movement for all different reasons rather than from fat loss, but she lost a little bit of weight doing it. She was always just her body shape and size. She knew that. She didn't really care about that. It wasn't her main thing. But when she had a pelvic health physio because she was having a pelvic pain in her pelvis, she blamed or she thought what she was doing somehow so it's what she was doing physically mm-hmm. that was causing her pain. And then the pelvic health physio saw her and said, well, your BMI is quite high. You're quite, your BMI is also a risk factor for pelvic girdle pain. Right. right? <laughs> so then she left that, that was an hour appointment she got, right? And then I met her and she kept mentioning the sentence that the pelvic health physio had seen. So I was clocking that it obviously that sentence was like ingrained mm-hmm. and I was like did she say anything else to you about exercise or movement and she was like yeah yeah she gave me like loads of stuff to do and I was like what did she give you to do she was like I don't actually really remember and I was mm-hmm. like well but you, really, but you really remember the BMI comment and she was like start to cry and she was like yeah because like like I've worked really hard to get where I'm at and I, I know I'm not skinny I, I know I'm not like thin I know I'm like biggish and like but I was like but you're really strong like you're mm-hmm. like you're who cares about the well oh, get out of way like I was like you're really strong and you're like you're trying your best to keep active in pregnancy and anyway it got down to it that actually it, work was stressful right now and she felt really bad that she was leaving the team because she got to this stage that no one else was trained in what she could do she was heavily pregnant the NHS were then asking her to work right up until 38 weeks because they'd only got this other staff member in to help with her cover when she was in mat leave from 35 weeks and she had to stay and blow and she was struggling and she was tired and all of this stuff so actually I was like I don't think what you're doing in the gym is doing anything to your pelvis I don't think your BMI is the worry here like you're you're actually saying to me you're the fittest you have been and you're like you know the healthiest you've been so mm-hmm. let's not think about the BMI because your BMI is going to increase anyway because you're growing a baby you know I think you know and I it's such a rubbish indicator you know oh, right oh god it was just like oh geez here we go and um and I was like let's get back into the gym like what are the worries there is anything causing you pain when you move and can we look at how you're doing that and you know is it at the deadlift that your mother-in-law then said oh you're deadlifting like you shouldn't be is it that movement that's causing you pelvic girdle pain and maybe why is it that are you holding too much tension and fear when you're doing it and anyway she got back into training again and she she messaged me and she was like one session I'm back in the gym again feel great um, I've spoken to work a little bit about my certain feelings and stuff like that and they're bringing the staff member in earlier we can do more teams actually we're doing teams to educate so I can work from home in the morning a little bit more and she's like I never felt better uh, and I was like great <laughs> like, brilliant <laughs> you know um, so yeah I, yeah the, the 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how I got on that tangent, Lindsay, but I think with pelvic pain and pregnancy, there's a lot more narratives. And I think, again, being a facilitator in that narrative can be really empowering for the patient. Um, so not not accepting that it's your problem, but what physically you're doing is the issue and you have to stop that. Think more about the outside box narrative when it comes to pelvic pain as well. I love it. We're so, so lucky, uh, Rosie, to have had your like expertise. Thank you so much for sharing and for being so open and also just for being so like invested in what you do and for making such a massive, massive difference for people who go through all these different phases in their lives. So we're really, really grateful. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. And I'm going to say before the podcast ends, the re- like I've also got a lot to give back to Lindsay. Now, that's why I was so like, can I come on the podcast? Can I like, can I, like chat to you? Because <laughs> Lindsay was the first person like who really kind of, slid into my dms like i'll never forget it and and that's the reason i'm here like that's the reason like i've got the clinic like i got the drive like i was doing private work but no one really said to me you should like do this like why are you still in that environment it took a long time Lindsay. (laughs) you were like yeah you were the gardener that planted the seed i can always say you know like (laughs) Um, and I think that for, for I'm ever for grateful for the business. But then also, though, like you can be grateful for that, but you can still think, oh, maybe those connections don't have a parallel or we don't cross over. But then also, I see what you're doing in the gym. We we're just chatting about that today, like how amazing it is. And like, I wish there was more of you. I'm trying to get Lindsay to franchise, guys. <laughs> watch this space because <laughs> yeah, me as a physio I'm like it complements doesn't it and to find something that compliments and sings in the same hymn sheet is really powerful so yeah thank you for being you and thank you for creating your space and making me where I am now today so yeah I appreciate it thank you thank you so much <laughs> wonderful humans that is all that we have time for today thank you so so much for submitting your questions for being so open and honest and for daring to be vulnerable I really really appreciate it it's amazing being able to answer your questions in such a way that hopefully supports other people too so if you do have a question don't be shy no question is off limits and you can submit it anonymously via the form in our show notes Please do keep liking, sharing, subscribing and telling everyone all about our podcast. It really helps us to continue to do the work that we do and we really appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.